Hello and welcome to this episode of The Inspired Attorney. I'm your host, Sharon B. In this episode, we are speaking with Mitch Beinhacker. In part one, Mitch talks to us about the business of law and why we should have a business plan in place and what that looks like. He also talks to us about his experience of building a multi-attorney practice and why he closed his practice down to go solo again and shares with us his learnings from this experience. Hello, Mitch. Thank you for being a part of The Inspired Attorney. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. My name is Mitchell Beinhacker. I'm a business attorney. I live in Westfield, New Jersey. I practice in Clark, and I'm a solo practitioner specializing in small business law. Nice. Can you tell us how you got into law in the first place? How I got into law? That's a good question. I was probably in college, and I was a business, economics, and finance major, and I was always interested in different things. And I felt that a legal background was good, regardless of what I got into in life. Probably my grandmother had been prodding me for 30 years to go to law school. So um, one day I was talking with a bunch of friends of mine, and we were talking about what we we're going to do after college. And I decided at that point to go to law school. And then I was hesitant about, should I, should I not? And I decided to, to do it. So that's kind of it was like my junior year. I just kind of like, oh, I think I'll go to law school. I think it'll be a good next step for my education, regardless of what I ended up doing in my life. What is one thing that you wish you would have known um, before going to law school? Um, how to run a law practice. I mean, we don't get any kind of business training in law school whatsoever. Uh, it's a kind of a weird career where you know everybody's a professional and they have a profession and there's an argument about whether it's a business or a, or a profession i would argue that it's a business and we don't you know get that kind of training so i wish i wish when i came out of law school that i had been told that hey you know 80 90 of us end up in solo practices and you really should get some business skills and learn how to run a practice and i remember when we were graduating there was a book called like how to open your own law firm. And people are like, well, what would I read that book for? You know, I'm going to work for a law firm. You know, that's what I'm going to do. And then as you start to learn about the world, you're like, ah. Oh. And I was always more of an entrepreneur anyway. So I, I wish that I had started down that road sooner. I would have probably done things a little bit differently. You know, not a lot, but. Now, how did you, because you have your own practice, how did right. you come to open your own practice and make that leap? Well, I went on a little bit circuitous route. So I, I, you know, did a lot of clerking for different firms and different things. Um, I worked for a judge in the city for a while when I was in law school. I worked at the IRS when I was in law school. And then I went to work for different firms, clerking and doing different kinds of things. And uh, business planning and estate planning was really what I was most interested in. So my father at the time was, and he still is actually, was in the life insurance business. And they do a lot of estate planning in that business. So I asked him one year, can you get me a job working at one of the insurance companies? Because I knew they did a lot of that stuff. So I went to work there. And then when I graduated law school, I decided, well, I didn't know sales and marketing or anything like that. So I decided to go to work for an insurance agency to learn how to sell, how to market, right? I wasn't going to practice law. And then you know, over the years, one thing led to another. I ended up moving to Columbus, Ohio for two years. I worked in-house for Nationwide in their in their tax and legal department. Um, and I used to speak on all kinds of different tax and legal topics and estate planning and all charitable planning stuff. And then just one thing led to another. I came back, I joined an agency. So I really kind of went a circuitous route. I never really like joined a law firm 
except when I was in law school and, and practiced law. Um, and then slowly but surely, people find out that I'm a lawyer and they'd ask me to do a will or a business agreement. or And I got busier and busier from that and less on the sales and marketing side, even though I, I had to make a living. So I had like licenses in those days and things. And then eventually I opened my own practice just because I knew every insurance agent and financial advisor in the state of New Jersey that were sending me business. So that's kind of the, it's kind of how I went about it. It wasn't like I was working at a law firm and I said, oh, I have this big clientele. Now let's go out on our own. It, it didn't happen like that. I basically had, uh, I guess I had no clients. I mean, I just had a lot of contacts and I started slowly but surely. So I was like general counsel for an insurance agency. And then I was also had my own practice. And then that got busier in the insurance agency. I didn't do much more for them. And then eventually I migrated out on my own. That's kind of the way it went about, happened. I think it's awesome because it really shows that you were, you not only took initiative, but you also believed in yourself, which is, I think, something that uh, a lot of people struggle with. They don't necessarily see the value that they add. And I think your path kind of shows that you did. What are some things that helped you do that? Well, I think a lot. So, so when I was coming out of um, law school, right, and I was going to work for, I think at the time, I guess it was an insurance agency. So I was doing legal work, like joint work, and I was also doing sales because I had to make a living, right? I had this kind of, as we all do, right? The world was a different place. This was 20 years ago, right? There was no internet. There was no social media. The world was a very small place, right? So you go and you, you work for whoever. And then I was working for a couple of years, working with different agents and learning how to sell and sales skills. And yeah, coming out of law, college, law school, I was a shy kid. You know, I was an introvert. Like, I, I think when I first started in sales training, I had to like make cold calls, you know, which I don't recommend to anybody. I think I made 10 of them. And I told my supervisor, I said, I never do this again in my entire life. That was the worst experience I've ever had. So then as time went on, I was, I was busier doing like more advanced work and joint work on the estate side. And I, I, I met a recruiter in the insurance and financial business. And he recruited me to go to Nationwide in Columbus, Ohio. So, and I started talking to other companies around the country, but I was like, well, if I want to pursue this, I don't know if I want to just sell insurance and financial products for the rest of my life. I want to be a lawyer or whatever. So I went on this I was either engaged or married. At the, no, I must have been engaged because we, we got married after we lived in Columbus. And I went on this trip. So I told my wife, I'm going, my fiance, I'm going to go to Columbus for this interview. And she's like, like, where's Columbus? Like, we're not going to move there. She's from Florida originally. She's down by you. She's originally from South Florida. And she had moved up with me. And I said, um, well, I'm just going to go because it's going to be a good experience, right? So I went and I met them and I called her like, uh, what do you think about living in Columbus? And she's like, well, why would I do that? So we ended up moving to Columbus for two years and I traveled around the country, you know, giving speeches for, so Nationwide is, a, is mostly a brokerage company. What they do is they sell their insurance products, their annuity products to agents who are more independent. So they had national sales reps. So you might be dealing with the Northwest section or, or there was a guy in South Florida who did South Florida, Georgia, and maybe South Carolina or something. So he would bring me down as the lawyer and he would set up meetings where we would give presentations to larger groups. And I never spoken to groups like that before. So I started speaking all over the country and meeting all these people. And I realized there's this whole world out there. And I apparently knew more than I thought I did. 
and started getting more confident about what I did. So when eventually we moved back to New Jersey, really to, to get married and to have a house and Nationwide was changing and I could have taken over a department there, but I don't want to spend my whole life in Columbus, Ohio. No offense to anybody listening from Columbus, Ohio. It's a nice town. But I was coming back to New Jersey. So I joined an agency as their general counsel at that point, but I was now this advanced you know, planner. So I'd gone out in the world and I'd you know, improve my skills. And I was, had this different view of the world. When I was in New Jersey, I was just some kid coming out of law school and I don't know what the hell I was talking about. So that's kind of, it's kind of the road that I went on and how it kind of came together. So when I came back here doing work for other agents and joint work and meeting with clients and giving presentations, it was easy for me at that point. I had already honed my skills. That's kind of how I got to where I was. When you started your own practice, what is something that, um, you now would go back and tell yourself or you wish you would have known at that time? That's a good question because I always say that if I knew then what I knew now, I mean, if I had the kind of business skills and the kind of view of the business of where it is and the kind of practice that that I've built, it's taken me trial and error. I mean, you know, if I knew the right way to do it, then I would be, you know, years ahead. I would have gotten more into some of the business deals and the real estate deals that I do now and learned that earlier on, um, probably would have built more wealth because of it. Because a lot of it's just, you know, life is just trial and error, like the whole thing. So, but that would be cheating. You're not allowed to do that. Know what, what you, you're not allowed to know that until the end, not at the beginning. But yeah, that's the kind of things I wish I knew. I, you know, I would have even, even any of the business planning I do and that kind of stuff. Yeah. If I knew that in my twenties, it would have been, if I was capable of receiving it, I would have definitely been way ahead of where I am now, I think. That's probably true for everybody. It's one of the topics I wanted to touch on because you do, you're offering right now a business plan challenge yep. to people. And how is this something that would help attorneys? Because I think a lot of attorneys, especially in small firms, don't even have business plans. Yeah, it's interesting. So I had a couple of attorneys email me and say, you know, should I be doing this? And I was like, well, why, why wouldn't you have a, a business plan as to how you want to build your practice and what you, what you think it looks like in three years or five years, or what you would like it to you know, look like in three to five years. The, the components of a, of a, um, you know, a professional practice, a services-based practice, obviously are different than if you had a manufacturing business or something like that. But yeah, I mean, there's no question that you need, you need a business plan. You need a track to run on. Maybe it's more marketing than it is manufacturing or more. Maybe you want to have, like I now have a solo practice, but I had, I had dreams and goals of building a bigger practice. I had five attorneys and we had like eight of council attorneys and 5,000 square feet. And I, at one point just decided it wasn't for me and it wasn't making me more money. And, you know, maybe my partners weren't too happy about it, but I went out on my own and now I work at a co-working space and I'm very virtual, but I still have, you know, ways I build my practice and systems that I use and things like that. So I think that even as a lawyer, you know, you want to write down, well, what is my product? It's not just law, right? It's, it's specialized. So what area of laws do you practice in? And then how are you going to market it? And what people or services or systems do you need in place? And do you want in place to run your firm? I run very light. I don't really have a staff. I don't really need a staff, but I use a lot of um, automated, you know, services and online services probably didn't exist 20 years ago. To, to run my calendar, my email list, my keep in touch list. You know, I do the podcast as, con- as a form of content marketing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that, um, you know, you got to write things down. Like it's no different. I don't care what business you're in. If you don't write things down, you're not going to remember them. You're not going to follow them. You're not going to follow through. You're not going to deal with problems effectively. So we're in day one. I've gotten actually two 
people already submitted the template completed for day one. One guy did it like eight o'clock this morning. He was on top of everything. So that's going on. And hopefully at, by the end of the week, people will have a basic business plan to get started working that. I'm actually giving a talk tomorrow about, well, it's called how to get sued by anyone and everyone, but it's not about how to get sued. It's about how to avoid lawsuits. But I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of doing things in writing, right? If you have a contract with somebody, you're dealing with a client, you're dealing with employees, whatever, you want it in writing. And a lot of these speeches about memory and how we don't remember, th- look, we're not efficient. Our minds are not efficient computers. What, it, what our minds do is take experiences and kind of mix them together. And over time, my, you know, my interaction with you and talk, telling you a story, and then you tell me your story, I, I like acquire like elements of your story into my story. I mean, it just happens. That's the way minds work. So when, if you don't have things in writing, lawsuits, it's very easy to discredit somebody who's testifying or giving a deposition or whatever, because we just don't remember things. So I'm, I'm a big advocate of writing things down. So that would definitely follow the whole, the whole business plan you know, aspect of, of, of growing your practice. What are some things that you would say to someone who would feel a little overwhelmed by all these things that you just said in terms of like, including the business plan, like what are just some skeleton things that they can do just to unload the mind and um, help them ease into it? That's a good question. And that's why with the business plan challenge, I boiled it down to like four sections, you know, so you can digest it as you go. First of all, everything I said about contracts and dealing with clients, you can forget about that. But I mean, as attorneys, we deal with clients in writing, right? We all have retainer letters. So you'd have those up to date. But in terms of your business plan, there's really like four sections you need to focus on, right? One is your service. You know, what do you provide to clients? What areas do you practice in? The other one is definitely marketing. How are you going to market your service? How are you going to be top of mind? What kind of content do you like to produce? So forth. And obviously this is a it's a broader plan in other businesses, but in in the legal profession, the third would be financials, right? What should you price your product at? A lot of us don't do your service. A lot of us don't do that in the legal profession, right? We think, oh, well, most people charge $1,500 for a will. So I'm going to charge $1,500 a will, but you pay no attention to what your expenses are and how you operate, right? So it's more like what you keep, not what you make that, that matters. So that's important to put that down on a spreadsheet as to what kind of resources you want, what do you need, how much does it cost, right? Insurance, you have all kinds of online services, um, you know, research databases, you have um, rent, obviously, things like that, copier lease, internet access, whatever it happens to be. We don't take the time to really list that out, and we should. The fourth section is probably personnel. And it may just be you to start, and then, you know, at what point, should your income be high enough where you do want to hire an assistant? Maybe it's a virtual assistant. What kind of other services are you going to put in place and support do you want? Do you want to bring on a law student? Do you want to bring on an associate? And where do you see yourself growing? So at some point, you can maybe start to create like a succession plan. Like, how do I get out of this? All of us end up practicing. You know how we get out of it? We die. We, we like practice till we're 80, 90 years old. Most of the attorneys I know don't really have this. That's their succession plan. They're just going to practice till they can't practice anymore. So for, I, that's what I would do. I would just boil it down to four sections, you know, Service, personnel, which is you probably to start, uh, marketing, and financials. Those are the four I would, I would focus on. And you can even do, what's that book? Um, the one-page marketing plan. I mean, you can do it as simply as you want to, but just put it in writing. Just start, you know, start somewhere so to get ideas down that you will forget. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's all a matter of just starting somewhere and then just doing one thing every day. Yeah. If it's small. Yeah. And it's very hard to stay on track. You walk into your practice and 
there's fires that are going already. You know, emails are coming in. Clients need help. Your friend, hey, can you help me out with that? Okay. Next thing you know, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. You haven't done anything that you want to. So you better get in the habit of, and I know a lot of attorneys, some are good with this, some are bad, of keeping a, you know, a kind of a, not a journal, but a list of the stuff you got to do that day, right? What's urgent? What's important? What's it, what are the other two? Like what, what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. And a lot, unfortunately, everything becomes urgent and you got to kind of focus on the important stuff. Um, so that's, that's my best advice for running your own practice. You really have to be on top, you know, organized and, and writing things down definitely takes it out of your head and takes the pressure of off of, I've gotten in the habit of sending myself emails and putting up reminders on my calendar because I don't want the pre- pressure of remembering it. I can't remember everything. My kids joke with me. They're like, dad, can you do this for me tomorrow? I'm like, send me an email. Like, Why do I have to send you an email? Cause it's in my inbox. And when I get in, it'll be on my list. I will take care of it. If you don't send me an email, I will not take care of it for you because I walk in, there's 25 fires. I got 12 things I want to get done that day. I'm balancing those two. And if you're not in my box, you're not getting attention, even though you're my children. I just can't operate that way. I think a lot of us try to, we think like we should remember everything. Forget about it. I don't need that pressure. So that's the way to take pressure off. Just write it down, get it out of your head. Keep a pad by your bed. I don't know, whatever allows you to sleep at night. How do you prioritize for yourself? In terms of getting things done? Well, usually for the week, I'll have certain projects that are going on with certain deadlines. Um, I try to not deal. I've gotten to the point where I've been practicing long enough that I try to deal with the urgent things. Like I try to tone them down. Like maybe they're not as urgent as you think they are, you know, and I try to push them down into the, are they really that important? Is it something that can be put off just because the person thinks their whole world's on fire? They got served. You got 35 days. I can tell them, listen, you're fine. We could talk in three days. I think that I try to kind of tone that down a little bit and stay focused on the things. But I mean, I have a list of important things I don't want to do that I, I don't get to. And I just, luckily, if you do reminders, like in a Google calendar, they carry over if you don't check them off. So I mean, you know, I just, I try to, to be that way in terms of having things remind me as opposed to me remembering, but sometimes I forget and I have to send myself notices. So I think prioritizing is a constant like juggling act. You know, I I think there's things that come to the forefront you have to take care of. And then there's other things that you can kind of say, okay, but then I'll schedule it. Like if I know that I have to get something done by this date, I'll put it on the calendar and say, work on it today and I'll block off two hours and just get it done. You like make an appointment with yourself. But you have to do that in your solo practice. There's nobody that you're reporting to, you know. Yeah, it's definitely important. Important. Yeah. To yeah. keep the commitments you make to yourself. You have to, or you're not going to be successful. I mean, you know, you're 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 the only one to blame for your own success. So nobody's going to be like Mitch. You're not doing your work, so we're going to let you go if you don't do this. <laughs> you know, you're firing yourself. So. Yeah. yeah. Can we transition back? Cause you, um, had your own, had a larger practice that you had started and then you decided to, uh, go solo again. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you made that decision, but also what you learned from that experience? Yeah. And I, I had partners over the years, you know, smaller firms, different firms. And then I was, um, working with a, a friend of mine who was kind of of counsel to me and our space was running out of room and he was in another location. So we said, why don't we kind of merge in the middle and grab this space? And I had a certain um, vision of the kind of firm I wanted to build. 
from a technology standpoint, from a services standpoint, from, and for, even from a marketing standpoint. So over time, I think out of fairness to them and honesty to me, I didn't really connect the like-mindedness of the people that I brought into the firm, whether, and, and it wasn't their fault. I, like, I didn't ask them whether they were like-minded in terms of how I wanted to build the firm and what I wanted to do. And I think over time, I met some attorneys who were good people, good lawyers. They were doing some of it the traditional way. Um, their books were seemingly big enough to, you know, we didn't have huge overhead. So I wasn't looking for guys with million dollar books of business. They had a few hundred thousand. That was, that was fine. We could make money on that. But, you know, it, when I started, and this took a six to eight week to eight month process where I got to the point where I agreed to just, okay, I'm walking away. It got to the point where I would, you know, I, I wanted to do certain things like creating the podcast or doing video uh, blogs or video biographies or whatever we were doing to be, you know, more cutting edge and more accessible and easier to work with. And, you know, online calendars, we were going to switch to a whole, if you're familiar with some of the platforms, I think we were looking at Clio at the time to move to that. And it was going to be, you know, a couple thousand a month because we had a lot of people on the plan and whatever. And I came to the realization that fall or that spring that nobody was going to use this. Like I was going to put this thing and it was going to be like pulling teeth to get them to do all the online stuff and, and to get their data and to follow this stuff. So I got to the point where I just felt that I would, I would be happier and I'd maybe even be making more money in the long run, being on my own and just focusing on you know, what I do, which is basically you know, drafting and negotiating agreements for business owners and estate plans as well and transactional work. And I have enough colleagues that I can send work out to get things done for clients if I want to. We had a lot, much broader range of commercial services. So it took a while to come to the conclusion that, you know, why I wasn't happy. And it was coming in seven days a week. I was doing our videos on Saturdays and the podcasting on Sundays and editing and stuff and doing work and running the firm with, with my friend who was our COO. And it just, you know, I just didn't want that to be my life in 10 years. I felt that I would just still be, and maybe I was wrong, but I felt that I would have I would just keep going around the merry-go-round and we weren't getting anywhere. We were doing certainly well over a million dollars a year in revenue, but our profits hadn't gone up. They had, I think they had gone down. And I decided that I just had to walk away. It was hard. It was a hard decision to say, okay, I'm going to go out on my own and not have the firm. But I just felt like I was just spending so much time spinning my wheels, trying to build a firm that you know, nobody seemed really, with the exception of maybe one one of the guys, not too excited about. They just wanted to do it the way they wanted to do it. So I said, "All right, then I'm going to do it my own way," and that's that's what I did. So. Would Would you say for somebody who is thinking about partnering partnering up with someone that they should make sure that they're on the same page on in terms of like the things you listed, also what you need in a business plan? Very much so. I think I find that most partnerships don't work out in the long run in our profession. I mean, you see it constantly blowing up. There's a disconnect between the younger people and the older people. There's a disconnect between what the group, certain group of attorneys want and the other group of attorneys want. The younger ones say, well, we don't need to take over this firm. We, we, we work with most of the clients. We can go out on our own. And there's no, there's no non-competes in our business anyway. But I think that the... It's being on the same page, and this comes with writing a business plan and writing things down and, you know, creating at least contracts so it shows, you know, what your intent is, letters of intent, something, and making sure that you're like-minded as to how you want to build your practice and where you want to go, where you see yourself in three to five years, a conversation I never really had or limited had on a limited basis. 
I think that would avoid some of the partner breakups because I think people get together and they're lawyers and we're going to you know, do this and you do that law and I do this law and let's get a space and we got a name and we, you know, we're all excited. We got our business cards, although maybe we don't have business cards anymore because nobody wants to touch them, but we have a logo, right? We have a website. We're going to do this and that. And then we go off practicing because we were taught to practice law. And there's like a big disconnect with how you want to build things, how I want to build things. You know, one partner feels like they're pulling all the weight and the other partner's not doing the work. You know, I had a partner years ago before that firm and we got into arguments because he wasn't a big developer of business and which I didn't have a problem with. I said, okay, I'll develop 90% of the business, but then you got to put in 40 hours a week and he wasn't. So how much time could I put in and grow the firm and run the firm and do the marketing? So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't working. If if he was saying, fine, I'll, I don't mind doing, you know, 40 hours a week of work, which isn't a lot. You do this, but we didn't, you know, as much as he intended to do that. And he said he was gonna, he never really did. So I finally just got frustrated and, and broke that up. So I'd been in other partnerships and other relationships where I had, you know, it just wasn't working. And I had been general counsel to, to firms that, not law firms, but financial companies that the partners, they broke up too. I mean, they had problems. So it's very common for partnerships to break up. But I think problem is they don't really write down the rules at the beginning. You know, well, what do you look, what do you, what does this look like in the next three years? Where would you like to be? And if you're not really on the same page, do you want it? Maybe you want, maybe whatever your vision is, I like. And I said, you know what, Sharon, I'd love to come along for the ride. I think it's a great vision. I'd never really thought about that before. Fantastic. But I think you got to figure that out early on. And a lot of us don't, unfortunately, leads to a lot of breakups. For sure. And we talked about a little bit about that attorneys aren't really, don't really learn the business of running a law firm. And I think sometimes when you don't have that business background, you don't also don't integrate things like something simple as like a weekly team meeting. Yep. To make sure you're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we would have those and you do them quarterly. We'd have trouble getting people even in the room. They're all busy. Oh, I got to run to court. I got to be there. You know, you got to take the time to run the business. I think one of the shortcomings of, of, uh, law school, for example, um, and certainly all of the CLE programs that exist is that there is no business. Like we don't get legal educational credits for taking a business class. They don't count that. You know, taking a marketing and sales class, they don't count that, which is absurd. And certainly in law school, last time I checked, very few, very few law schools have business curriculums of any kind how to start your own law practice. It's almost like telling the kids, oh, you're going to fail, so you better be ready to start your own law practice. But ironically, that's not the case. Like, I think I read a study where 80% of the of the lawyers in this country, I think it's like 1.4 million active attorneys in the United States, are in either one-man practices or somewhere like two to five, which is really just people sharing office space in most cases. So, you know, people end up in their own practice, so they need business skills, and we don't get any of those business skills. I'm not sure if we get law skills. You know, you're in law school, you learn kind of how to research things and how to think. And then you go practice law and you got to learn all that stuff. It's, you had to learn the bar in a bar review course. You learn the LSAT, you take a course. It's like four unrelated events to practicing law. And I think we would serve the profession really well if we started teaching people how to run and grow their own firms. And there are, look, there's a ton of stories of, and I'm sure you've met plenty of them who have great firms and they're great lifestyles and they've built their firms up and, you know, I'm happy with what I do and everything, but it's definitely a learning process. Something either happens along the way where somebody you meet says, Hey, you you should learn this about running a law practice or you don't. And probably most people don't have any kind of intervention in terms of their career and how to run a practice. Who would run a practice? You should practice law. 
you know, that's for the managing partner doesn't, you know, so that's a, like a, it's like a, what's the word? It's kind of like a dark mark on you. If you're, if you run the practice, that's not being a lawyer. I think we're kind of backwards in that regard. What are some of the things that you personally use to, or to learn, to make sure that you are on top of everything, not only in terms of running the practice, but also to further educate yourself? From a legal standpoint or from a business standpoint? From the business standpoint, and then also from a legal standpoint. Well, on the business side, I'm always listening. I'm a big podcaster, so I'm always listening to podcasts of, there's, there's a lot of good law podcasts out there for small lawyers, small firms. There's one called Clienting. I think it's still going. I know the woman who was on it with a guy, she went and did something else, but they at least have their old episodes. There's one called The Law Entrepreneur. There's a bunch of them. And they're talking to small attorneys around the country, what they're doing to promote themselves and run their practice and make their practices unique and, and run their practice to make it a place where they want to go to work and everyone else wants to go to work, which I don't find that in general in the practice of law. So I listen to a lot of stuff. I, I read a lot of well, most of the stuff I read is business books and so not really law books. Um, but even like the E-Myth, if you're familiar with the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, it's a series. They have an E-Myth for lawyers as to how you should run your practice and build your practice and so forth. I think the attorneys actually co-wrote it with them, our estate planning attorneys. But And then on the law side, I mean, obviously continuing legal education. You know, on my side of the world, when it comes to contract drafting and all the stuff that I do, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, I keep up with the law from certain subscription services to send me stuff, but I don't even have like research. Like I don't have a Lexus or a Westlaw subscription anymore. Like I don't need it. There's too many resources out there that are free and I get approached by them all the time. Well, we have this library and that library. And like, I have a library. Like I, I that's because I've been practicing for 30. I have skills. Like I don't need to use, uh, what's the one? There's one called Wealth Council, I think, where you can put all your data and it'll produce the documents for you. You can review them. And, like, why do I need that? I mean, I've been practicing for 30 years. What the hell have I been doing for 30 years? I, I need a, a piece of software that's going to produce the documents for me. I mean, I guess that's a great way to get into estate planning if you don't know what the hell you're doing. So they'll produce it for you. But um, in terms of running the practice, I use, I don't use a, a practice management software because it's just me. If there were more than, more of us, I might do that. But I have, you know, I use um, certain online databases for email blasts. Uh, my calendar's integrated online with those tools. I have some automated services on my website. That was one of the things I always wanted to do, but really never got the support to do it. I was too busy doing other things, was to build a section of my website where for simple things. So you're a young couple, you need a basic will. You have a small business, you need a basic operating agreement or a buy-sell agreement or something like that. You can go on the website for half of what I charge, Prepay it, put in all the data, and you'll have a document in at least most 72 hours to make it you know, more accessible. You don't have to like make an appointment and go see your lawyer and then get drafts back and not understand what you're reading and all that type of stuff. So I've been trying to build, and I have been building those kind of services to manage my, to manage my practice. And that's, you know, that's the way I manage it. In the old days, we managed, we had, a bill, you know, we had to have a billing system. I don't need that anymore. I try to do everything flat fee. I'm not a big proponent of hourly billing. I think it leads to client. It's like the inherent, it's like the definition of a client conflict, right? You're in a firm, supposed to bill as much as you can, but you're supposed to do the best job for the client at, at a reasonable price. And those conflict with each other, the needs of the firm and the needs of the client. So I try to do things when I can on a flat fee basis or a cap or something like that, you know, so they can know what they're, what they're paying. But that's kind of how I run it. I'm all on Google now. Everything's in the cloud. I just keep it, you know, light and simple. You don't have to be complicated with running your practice. I don't think nowadays 
There's a lot of good resources out there as a solo or a small firm. You don't have to like, no offense, but you don't have to buy Clio and you know pay several hundred dollars a month for the first system, probably 80% of which you don't use. You can just operate it other ways, stay in touch with people. Thank you for watching. Follow me on my channels on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you follow me on YouTube, please be sure to hit the little bell so you are notified when the next episode is released. And since I am a life and business strategist focused on helping attorneys, if you are seeking further strategic advice, please do reach out to me. I am a resource for you. I love to talk to you and I am looking forward to sharing more insights with you on the next episode. 